0: Thank you. Welcome to a very special episode of the What's Good Games podcast. I'm Andrew Renee, joined in studio by Miss Christine Steimer. Oh, hello, and Miss Brittany Braunbacher. Hello. And as you can see, we have a very special guest joining us today. Corey Barlog is here from Sony Santa Monica. Yay. So good to finally get you here. Yes,
1: I'm very excited. What is good?
0: We have been trying to get you on the show for what feels like almost a year.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been dodging your calls as best as I could. But I then, knew it! Then you, you called from a blocked number, and I answered, and here I, I am. I
0: hoodwinked you, and I'm very proud of my schemes. Sweet. Um No, but it's great to see you, and you're obviously here in town for the Game Developers Conference 2019. Yes. And I hear you're nominated for a few more awards this week. That's exciting. It
1: is exciting. It's crazy. This has been a, a very wild year for everybody at Santa Monica.
0: So we saw you at Dice recently where, of course, you were on stage quite consistently. <laughs> um, I think that was one of the key Twitter jokes of the night was just how many times yeah, Corey was leave on, the seat on, stage? on stage. Yeah, yeah do you, like you just like want there? to
2: chair it here? Yeah. <laughs>
1: What's funny is we were in the backstage, too, and there wasn't really anybody sort of running that. So when they announced it, it was, I think, Jordan, who was sitting backstage, who was like, hey, dude, I think you have to go back on stage. <laughs> that's hilarious is the camera
3: in the front like looking for you it's like (laughs) where is he oh he's backstage (laughs) Just, um, yeah, as, as we
0: said, give him a chair on stage. But seriously, congratulations on all of the success. Um, obviously, we love God of War here at What's Good Games. It was our uh, game of the year for last year. Oh, Had a lot of you. fun playing it. Um, so we thought it'd be fun to talk to you a little bit, of course, about the game and about what you're doing here at GDC this week. So uh, we pulled some questions from our fans on Twitter, which we're going to get to in, in just a few minutes, but... What has it been like now that it's been almost a year since the game launched, kind of like reflecting on the journey that you and the studio have gone through?
1: I am still exhausted. It's it's wild. Like, I, I... I feel like I'm getting more tired with all of this. It must be I,
3: all these podcast appearances. Right.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah, that's, I think
3: it's all the awards because yeah. he has to carry them like on his back. Yeah. And, like, oh, that's how you F-C-N bring shape. That's right. I have to keep... Car- yeah, you're
1: required actually to keep them on your person at all times. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Which makes it very difficult to travel. Uh, no, it's... It, I mean, it's, it's incredible and it's humbling that people like the work that we're doing. There's a lot of, I think, inherent pressure that comes from each new award which sounds stupid it sounds like a dumb flex but like the reality is it just puts that pressure of like all right you gotta you gotta keep one-upping you know i think we all get caught up in that that concept i got caught up in that the on god of war 2 not not god of war 2 like if we're doing another one but like the original god of war 2 my naming convention is super confusing (laughs) i wasn't
0: gonna say it yeah
1: i blame myself on that one um (laughs) But yeah, that, that you know, God of War did so well, I think I felt an incredible amount of pressure to kind of at least keep up. I didn't feel that realistically I could top what we had done on the first one. So I think it's a, a hello old friend kind of moment now where I do feel uh, happy, but, uh, you know. Tired. No small amount of pressure. <laughs> and, and yeah, an incredible amount of tiredness is wild. I think when I finished two Um, I was tired for about a year. Uh, It took me almost a year to sort of recover from all of that. And it's coming on a year now, so I'm really hoping that that year hits and all of a sudden I'll just feel vibrant and energetic
0: well, I hope you get some rest as well, but it sounds like you guys just keep having reasons to celebrate.
1: All yeah, right. I mean, is, you know, do you guys have parties have.
0: after every big award show win?
1: Um, or Not like really.
3: Simon <laughs> just wants to I'm hear like, in detail no. the food you eat. Where yeah. are the baked goods? Where, where <laughs> do those factor in?
1: Everybody does bring in baked goods every once in a while to the studio. I have these amazing tacos that this guy already makes, That oh. uh, uh, they're like on Thursdays, they have these sort of taco thursdays and he makes these homemade tacos and they are astounding i'm not much of a a, a foodie right i don't talk much about food but these things are (laughs) life-changing they're amazing (laughs) now i feel
0: like a studio visit right a thursday studio visit is the time you want to
1: come right it's pretty amazing
0: well, you are going to be speaking here at GDC. You have a talk called Reinventing a God of War. Yes. So can you talk to us, maybe give us a, a little sneak peek or a preview about what you're planning to speak about?
1: So I'm going to give you a little insight into my process, which actually is sort of the, the, the story of the, the talk that I'm doing, which is I don't have it done. Uh, I have to do it on Friday, and I still am figuring it out. Um, I kinda'm of in that like, you know, study for the exam the night before. I've actually been working on it for a while. Um it's very hard for me to do these kinds of things because essentially it's a talk about like what I learned on God of War, what the process was of directing something like this. And every time I do it I keep feeling like why does anybody want to listen to this? You know, you get about halfway through it and you're like, I don't want to, like, other people do their job differently. Who cares about uh, the way I did it? But, uh, you know, I keep telling myself that I learned a lot about my job by hearing about how other people did their job, right? And not really the clinical, like, first I did this, then I did this, but just sort of stories from moments in time, right? When they're faced with a really difficult challenge and how they sort of deal with it, right? There's a great story about James Cameron when he was shooting the Ghost of the Abyss documentary, which is the Titanic one, mm-hmm. and he had to get Bill Paxton and all these scientists together, and then they had to get a boat, and then they had to go out to the the wreckage site, which is like a day and a half or two days of of sailing, I guess. It's motor powered boat, so it's not sailing, but oh, they they go yeah. out there, right? Sorry, was that? <laughs> she just broke out I just song. I just did a little song every inside. once in a while. It's that's Cyrus <laughs> just breaking out of the song. So they get out there, and it's late at night and they need to take the submersible. So they're like, oh, we'll take it uh, and put it in the water. The crane that picks a submersible up off the deck over the railing and puts it in the water is broken. So everyone's kind of freaking out. It's late. They've been traveling for, for several days. Everyone's getting a little hot and, and testy, and, and so Cameron's just like, all right, you know what? Let's just go to bed. Let's Let's wake up in the morning. We'll figure this out fresh, right? But he stayed up all night, and he stayed up all night figuring out the the sort of monetary costs that it would be if he were to cancel and then rebook, because you'd have to rebook everybody to come back there. They'd have to rebook the ship. They weren't able to extend the time. Everybody had a small window. uh, Versus cutting out a side of the ship where the railing is and rigging up a system of pulleys with ropes to actually use the crane and drag just slightly over the deck the, the submersible and then put it in the water. So all night, he worked out these plans. So everybody wakes up in the morning, he's got the the solution, presents it to everybody, and says, all right, we're going to try this. Uh, and it worked. And they were able to sort of salvage that, that Wait, chute.
3: How did they get it back out of the water? That seems like the most important I don't know. Part. That's not the story. <laughs> <laughs> like you're telling us you're like, oh, we can just cut out a side of the boat and like kind of push it off the boat. And I'm right. like, that part is I get.
1: Gravity but does most of the how work get there. It back
3: out without yeah, the crane. I think
1: they were able to uh, request a ship to come out so that when they were done shooting, okay. they were and able they to pull it back out of the water. Yeah, okay. so they got a ship that maybe had a crane to pull it back out of the water. Uh, but that seems
3: like a feature James problem. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not a it's that's like, not a this story in the water. Problem. We could just like motor the submissive or submersive back to the the mainland. Yeah, how yeah they could probably for have two have? days drag yeah. it
1: behind. Right, it's kind of like a camper. Right, that would be pretty good. It would be the person who performed. The poorest during the the show, so mm-hmm. that way they'd be like, "You got to ride in the well, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, uh, that that's would be fantastic. the shortest
0: straw to draw. Right.
1: <laughs> but I mean that that story right there made me realize, like, oh, okay, that that sort of describes what you need to do. I think in most of these situations is that it's not always a situation where you're coming up with the solution, but you have to really throw yourself into every problem, right? And that's essentially what making games is in general, is just a series of interconnected problems every single day, over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, and eventually it wears you down and you go crazy, but then you get pulled back out because you have a great team of people who are not going crazy at that moment. They had gone crazy the week before. So you pull them out of you that. And then, exactly. I think we kind of have a little number like at the deli or something like mm-hmm. that. It's my turn, <laughs> to, it's my turn <laughs> to be crazy this week. It's my turn to be crazy. Because it is definitely a... High pressure thing, even when it 's not high pressure there 's always something going on because it 's completely unknown i think that 's the the essence of what we 're doing is nobody knows like how to map any of that stuff out accurately you 're just kind of getting an idea you 're getting a, a i 'm going to keep using these nautical references you 're sort of getting a, a a true north and saying okay that 's where we have to go, but you have this kind of wide cone that you can work in. And the ship can keep just steering all over the place, and you have to figure out, did you just make the correct turn or the incorrect turn? Are you going Mm. to hit an iceberg or not? And the possibility of hitting an iceberg is constant.
0: Well, it seems that in addition to... You know, having a lot of people at the studio, you yourself also wore a lot of individual hats on this project. You're not just like the head of the project. You also are working on the narrative. You're working on character development. Did you find that like even extra stressful, or did you find that invigorating? Kind of like the idea of a busy person always manages to get more done.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. I've never heard that a busy person I've gets also, more done. I've also, never heard that.
3: Is that a real saying? I mean, yeah. I mean, the way you said it,
1: I believe that it's a real saying. You know. Uh, See, I'm really into wearing hats. As people know, I like to wear the the, the white hats. So uh, that makes me want to wear a lot of hats. The, actually, the reality is I was at uh, another studio, and I told them how I believed sort of the director's job would work, um, kind of describing that you're connected to everything. And and it isn't because you want to control everything, even though I have a slight slight controlling problem. <laughs> Just a, it's, it's a little one, and I'm working on it. Um, but... Uh, it is, there are so many decisions that seem inconsequential or small, that if you don't understand the full sort of breadth of everything, you could make bad decisions that just start steering you incorrectly. And if you're unaware of those decisions, it's happening, again, with the nautical reference of the deck below you, you're not able to make the right decisions when you, you don't have the right information, right? Um, so for me... Uh, it was important that you have to be involved. This is sort of the way that it's always been at Santa Monica. So, looking at another studio, they're just like, oh, well, we've found that one person can't do all of that. They end up being a bottleneck. And I'm oh, like, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> like, that, you know, sometimes that's true. You are a bottleneck. But the reality is, in order to truly, I think, be able to make good decisions, you have to understand everything that's going on. And I think in the beginning, I sort of gave the the first two writers that were on the project kind of the carte blanche freedom. And I said, you know, here's the general idea. Where do you guys want to go with this? And they started writing. And every time I got drafts back, I was realizing that it's getting farther away from something that feels right. And it wasn't any sort of judgment on their abilities. They were incredible writers. Uh, But I was also not reacting quick enough. And I was letting the drafts come in and saying, you know what, I need to give them space and freedom to create this. But I was getting farther and farther away from what the narrative was, but also from what I think instinctively felt right, you know. Uh, so I had to make that decision late, unfortunately. That I was like, "Oh, we got to scrap this and start over because I don't think we're, we're we're writing the second game." You know, we're writing a game that presupposes the relationship between the two characters uh, is already figured out, right? And we're focusing on all the plot and all the characters and all the cool things about Norse mythology versus Kratos and, and Atreus are the core. And then we get to learn about all this other stuff through their experiences and everything being sort of centered around family. So that was an early sort of reminder to myself that I need to stay actively involved in everything. And I mean, it's all the way up to like working with uh, the marketing group and how we message everything out because, you know, we know more and the game changes every four seconds, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're not, Mm -hmm. if you're literally gone for a day, it's like, what game are we making? I don't even recognize this anymore. (laughs) It's crazy.
0: So you're telling me you didn't take any time off in the whole like what five years was it that you oh, guys worked no, on the I, game?
1: Oh no, I totally took time off. <laughs> Good to uh, say. But I just had that you sort just of came like came
0: back and we're like, what?
1: Right. What
2: game is this? Right.
1: It was like a Harrison Ford regarding Henry moment. I was like, what's happening here? I don't know. <laughs> Who are all you people, and what are you doing in my house?
0: Well, what you were talking about kind of leads to uh, one of the questions that we got from uh, Twitter, from Uh at Fatality89, who says, uh, What other studios were consulted, if any, in the making of God of War? And if so, in what regards to combat story and cinematics?
1: Mm. Well, we had spoken with Naughty Dog very early on, uh, and this is...
0: Seems like a good call. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it's interesting because the reasoning behind consulting Naughty Dog was the opposite of what you would think. It was one of the main programmers at the time, the lead programmer, uh, really wanted to talk me out of doing a companion Oh, no, really? He thought it was a real, he's like, it's a huge investment. I don't think you get what you're, you're getting into. This is going to be a really difficult thing. We're going to have to have a team dedicated just to this character. You're going to have to cut a bunch of stuff. And that's usually, like, when people tell you you have to cut stuff, that's the way that they know they're speaking to my heart. I'm going, like, <laughs> if I say that, he's going to listen to me. Uh, and I was like, ah, it's fine. I spent a lot of time, ah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and they said, oh, you know what? I've arranged a, a meeting with the AI programmer. Uh, over at Naughty Dog. So let's go over and talk to him, and he'll kind of talk to you about this. And it was a while since we had talked about him saying it was a bad idea to do this, so I thought, what a nice guy. He's totally setting this up to help me out, right? <laughs> Instead, of hoping the guy would He was be really hoping, yeah, he'd be, he'd be like, this is going to be hard, right? <laughs> this is the, the the scared straight sort of moment, right? Getting sent to prison. Uh, and we go over there, and they're so nice, and they're telling me all about uh, the way that they were, were doing it and kind of the... The mistakes, I think, is 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 the best way to put it, but it wasn't really mistakes. It was just they explored a path, right? Uh, and that path turned out to be kind of a dead end because they were overcomplicating it. They were thinking about it as something that was too big, and they kind of had this epiphany, which was very close to release, right? I don't know if you know about the, the story of that, but like really close to release uh, for Last of Us. They, they decided, you know, Ellie's not working, and this is how Ellie needs to work. And they had come up with these, like, five rules. And instead of this huge sort of bloated sort of design document and this technical manual of everything, they were just like, look, as long as Ellie adheres to these five rules, I think it will work. And, that, and then they started getting good playtest feedback, and I think they had talked about it. There was a moment where Ellie uh, had said, Joel, behind you. Uh, when they were hiding behind cover during a play test and it was like everybody uh, you know gave it great scores and it was literally just her saying a line at the right time that made him feel like she's real mm-hmm. right and and so I'm like oh this okay this is great information um, and we left Naughty Dog and the programmer goes okay so you see it's gonna be really hard I'm like what are you talking about it's gonna <laughs> be <saw> great <laughs> this is gonna be so easy <laughs> there were five rules that's right it. Five. i was like five rules man this is gonna be great uh, and obviously it was way more complicated than i would have ever imagined in the beginning but i sort of knew that if i didn't completely throw myself at that problem and say like look we're just gonna do this i'm committed it was that and the the no-cut camera were the two that i was you know listening to everybody who had issue but then also sort of replying back, this idea of, trust me, I believe we can do this. Let's start to break down the problem. Uh, and, I, you know, rightfully so. The studio's apprehensive about both of those things because it's me assigning work to all of them, right? I'm coming mm-hmm. up with something that is going to make their lives miserable for five years trying to figure out these problems. Um, and, you know, thankfully it's just peaks and valleys, so there's a little bit of miserable, but a lot of these great realizations where people are like, did you know we could do this? Oh, this is so great. Uh, we had uh, incredible people working on those problems and we're able to kind of come up with clever solutions. Uh, we also have constantly been, like, talking to Gorilla. They're sort of good friends to our studio and we hang out with their, their sort of developers all the time. Uh, and... You know, every once in a while I've had a, a chat about how they would attack certain problems. Love to learn from their tools because they have really good tools. But I feel like as a developer, you kind of always say that about other developers. You're like, I hate my tools and your tools are great, right? It's the grass is always greener yeah. uh, in, in other places. But uh, I, I really do like that sort of more open environment. That's the first party sort of benefit. That's one of the biggest things I think that is great is that there's so many great first party studios that we can just say, hey, can I just stop by? You know, and, you know, God of War actually being successful has sort of afforded me the opportunity to actually go and stop by studios that are not first-party studios and ask questions and, you know prod for information
2: i feel like you're everywhere on twitter i feel like every time i open it up you're at a new studio or you're at a new location i
1: know right it's crazy and and i'm just keep going like seriously you're gonna let me go there <laughs> right you're gonna let me hang okay great right i'm just gonna keep pushing it because eventually it's gonna stop and they won't let me do that but oh. you know got you to were me-
0: recently uh hanging out with hideo kojima talking about yeah. death stranding right
1: and maybe miyazaki too you know uh but yeah that was that was amazing uh because i kind of was going to japan for something else and just said hey look i'd like to set up any studio visits that anybody can help me uh arrange um if for nothing else than to take a picture next to that statue in the hallway of kojima productions because it feels <laughs> it feels like a development rite of passage yeah. right it's just like yeah like every You've other day was
2: enough Corey, right <laughs> no
1: it's that picture that lets you know okay i'm there right um But yeah, that was awesome uh, because I've never hung out with him for a long period of time, right? I've seen him in the green room at E3 2016 and every once in a while we run into each other and say hi, but that was about it. And to spend like two hours when he was explaining his game and talking about how he feels about it and hearing the exact same sort of creeping doubt that we all have kind of coming through, I was like, oh my gosh. It's literally everywhere. We're all the same way. a
0: tiny bit of imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's like you make something and you hope people, uh, I think, relate to it and understand it and, and, and like it, you know, as much as I think a lot of people want to try to put on some armor in advance and be like, I don't care. I make games for myself, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of us do that. I don't care if it's even you make games by yourself. You still make games for other people, right? You make something for other people to enjoy, Uh and it's tough if they don't, right? And that is always there, I think, in everybody's head. doesn't matter who you are. Uh, because there's so many film directors that are really amazing that that you would think if they said, I would like to do a movie about my grocery list, people would fund it, right? <laughs> yeah. But I've talked to tons of them that are like, I've got 17 scripts in a drawer somewhere that nobody wants to make. I'm uh-huh. like, "How could if, if nobody wants to make those movies for you, there's no hope for any of us, right? How are we going to get anything done? <laughs>
0: Do you think that that doubt is just an inherent part of being a a creative person or on the more, you know, artistic side of game development?
1: I think, yeah. I I think anybody who puts themselves out there, uh, and I think, uh, you know, it does deal partially with the creativity, but when you put yourself out there as someone who's presenting something from you, right? And I mean, we're talking like, physicists who go and present a paper I think go through the exact same thing anytime you are putting yourself out to be judged uh, by a small group of people or by the world it's scary right and uh, I think maybe at first if you've had no experience with it it's not scary because you don't know what the bad side can be but once you have the bad side then you're like okay that's always present Uh, and I think I think the imposter syndrome is definitely a creative thing, but I think that is present, honestly, between anybody who is interacting with the public.
0: That's true. I mean, I know that we were super scared when we originally launched What's Good, like getting ready to hit that publish button, you know, for the very first time. Maybe our
2: parents will support us, maybe our husbands, maybe (laughs) some close friends, (laughs) and we'll call it good.
1: Was there ever a point where you were like, you know what, let's not do it? No. That you had to talk yourself off the ledge. It's not,
3: let's not do it. It was so. it was like we said, kind of more like, well, we might do this and nobody may care. Like, but I guess we'll just do it anyway. We'll just like we're gonna. See if how it anything goes.
2: we'll have the audio podcast, right? right. If that anything, we're
3: just doing this audio podcast. At the very least, it will be time for all of us to hang out, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so that was how we were gonna frame it if we failed miserably.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: kind of just like <gasps> accepted gracefully, you yeah. know, because.
0: You know, one of the lessons I learned early in my career, which I think a lot of people have learned, is that if you're going to fail, fail quickly and then move on and start something else. You know, like you can't wallow in your failure. Yes, you know, because right. then it just makes it worse.
1: <laughs> and failure's not bad. Like right. that's the that's we the all other do thing. It, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> that yeah. mean it is bad. I mean, yeah, it yeah. feels bad. I think when other people are pointing out your failure, yeah. right, yeah. that are actually, yeah. you know, uh, I think themselves sort of wallowing in your failure. But the reality is. Failure is such an incredibly good tool, right? It is what gets you to success, right? Like any kind of success, whether it be a small or a large success, is born of multiple failures, of multiple ways to not do something, to do something very wrong, right? And I think that's the unfortunate part, I think, generally about our society is that a lot of people demonize or or look poorly upon failure, uh and i and i think that's bad right like
2: it's an end point right Once like you failed right. once you can't keep going there's what's that cool i'm going to butcher it but i haven't failed i've just found a bunch of ways that haven't worked yes yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's yeah.
1: that was the, the light bulb one yeah. right i found like 20,000 ways not, not to, to make a light, to make bulb. A light bulb like yeah, yeah, that's awesome and yeah. that's the thing is like all all of sort of the great achievements throughout human history were not one and done. They weren't like, "Wow, I did this once and it totally worked. Awesome, I'm oh. amazing." Right. Actually, no, probably a bunch of YouTube videos are that like accidental, like, "Oh my god!" And, and then they can never repeat it. But like, uh, like the perfect basketball off the head into the kind oh, of yeah. thing. But that That's what I mean.
3: Takes so many tries to get that
1: shot. Really? Probably. Uh, yeah. See, I would have thought it was just perfectly caught on video. You're messing up the illusion. Oh so <laughs> no! Oh, Magic is no longer real. Uh, but yeah. Failure is super important. We should always celebrate failure. Maybe not for a long time. But yeah. Yeah. Right. Know. Yeah. But I think
0: yeah, I think what you're what, what you're saying is just like we need to failure. Yeah, we all need to yeah. come to an understanding that it's going to be part of all of our lives and we need to stop demonizing it as much as we have been. Yeah. Or shying away uh, from
3: things that we think could get. We us might
1: there. fail at right, yeah, right. Totally, yeah, totally. Exactly. I'm like that. Literally every time I have to do any public speaking thing, I'm mentally trying to figure out ways to get out of it. Mm. Right, so that's I,
2: why this So what's so happening on Friday? Yeah,
1: yeah. Though,
3: yeah. <laughs> you're gonna get a cold while you're here. Like, what's, the, yeah, what's yeah. the excuse you got in your back pocket?
1: Yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I can tell people that I had to quickly take a flight home or something like that. Yeah, no. The and, spiders and it always, got loose in
3: your house. You the, uh, all the insects <laughs> got loose
1: in the house, and now I have to go help take care of it. Even though I don't take care of any of those things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right, we've got another question here. This one is from at uh, dinitz, and it says, "Is there a feature?" Uh, at uh Dinitz, Devon nice. Nitz is oh. his full name. Okay. Um, is there a feature or aspect of God of War that you or the team loved and you wish more people knew about, or that most people didn't catch or notice about the game?
1: Wow, I don't know. People caught pretty much <laughs> the internet everything finds
0: about that. most things. It kind of, like, days. <laughs> to find good
1: about it. I mean, the the thing that bummed me out the most was that people found out the 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 map. The, the physical map secret really fast. I was really uh-huh. hoping that would percolate for a while. Kind of like the, the sort of metal gear, nuclear disarmament thing. Maybe I don't know what you're referring years.
0: to. Physical map <gasps> secret. Oh, look at oh, that. See, oh.
1: Oh, oh, this, tell is me. <laughs> this is great. So I can tell you about it. Okay. So, uh, I was really enamored with, like, physical box products when I was a kid. Loved getting, like, those cloth maps. Loved getting, like, the manuals and stuff like that uh, and kind of poring over it. And even though I hated the copy protection aspect of it, I liked the idea that you kind of had to reference the manual to say, what color is the pair of pants here to kind of get into mm-hmm. the game? I just thought these were neat ways to kind of bring the, the, the physical real world into this game experience and kind of unify it. So I was like, oh, you know what? I, I want to do something that utilizes parts of our collector's edition and does kind of like an unlock inside the game, right? So we had these two little statue chess pieces of Brock and Sindri, and then I wrote this little story in Runes on the cloth map, and then we kind of did this very faint grid on the cloth map, right? And on the cloth map, you could actually see on the bottom of these two chess pieces, there was a, a symbol on the bottom of one. And then if you read the story, it's a story about how Brock and Sindri had actually traveled the world uh, and found this amazing artifact, but then hid it. Uh, and then across the top and across the bottom of the map were two languages. And I, this is where I, I got super confident, because we made the languages up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it wasn't like somebody could say Oh, well, I know that language, so I just deciphered it really quick You have to actually play through the game Get the language disks to understand how to translate the runes that we made up uh, <laughs> To actually get the the basically the movement of each of the pieces So you'd be playing this little game where you'd be following the movement And see the journey of Brock and Sindri throughout all the cloth map And the final thing was talking about how they had hidden it between where they had uh, last, en- where they last ended up, so then when those two pieces at the end of where the code was, you'd be standing by one of the places, and you'd go, "Oh, if I go here, there's actually a code that you enter, which is facing something, look up, look down, like all this stuff that we could do." Uh, and that would actually unlock something inside the game. And I thought, oh, this would be so cool if somebody found this like six or eight months after the release of the game. <laughs> How long does it right? take? Right? That's like four days or something. <laughs> it was so I
2: remember fast. reading about that. That's fascinating. Yeah.
1: It was so cool. And I had to keep it a secret inside the studio as well. Because I didn't want a lot of people to know. Because the more people that know, the more that would get out there. Right. Yeah. So at first, producers were getting very upset with me. Because they were just like, what is this Skunk Works thing you're doing about a, a, a map? I'm like, Shh, don't, don't say it in public here. <laughs> Right so then we had like one designer and then uh it got passed off to another designer and we were able to keep it fairly secret in the studio uh but it ended up being like the last secret people found was the one that I really figured people would find very quickly which yeah. was the fact that Faye had written Loki uh in the house which I love that like I think it's such a cool way to sort of show that she always knew right it wasn't like we were just making this stuff up as we were going along but she was always sort of representing both sides of who Atreus is—that's
0: really cool. I can't believe I totally missed that. Yeah,
1: just I right over my it head, I safe. guess.
0: Well, maybe it's because I didn't actually get to see the map in person. Oh. I don't even know if I know anybody that has that map. I do. You have it? Of
2: course, they do. Of course, no, of I, course I, Well, I'm, I'm also a house. sucker for physical collectibles and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: And the talking mamir head—that one uh, also almost did not make it in. So I had made a joke about it. In fact, most of the stuff we ended up doing was me making a joke, thinking we <laughs> were never going to do it.
0: And then convincing somebody. to cut it just out like, mm, it. And like That's goes, interesting. Yeah.
1: But I wanted the Mimir Head keychain that actually you could press multiple buttons or one button that would cycle through like 10 different phrases, right? Uh, and in the end, it was not going to be in, and then it was like this negotiation point of, uh, okay, well, you can't have this, but how about I get you the Mimir Head, and it can only say one thing. And I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, that's cool. That works for me because I didn't even want the other thing. Yeah. So it was like, what a great like, mm-hmm. negotiation. I finally got it. <laughs> I didn't
0: even uh, want that the other thing. thing. I was sort of joking about. Yeah.
1: Right. It's awesome. Like the life-size axe, the, the big foam axe. Uh, I had made a joke earlier on to say that's what our collector's edition will be. Just a big life-size axe. And they were like, ha, ha. And then like five or six months later, somebody goes, you remember when you were joking about the life-size axe? I think we can do that. They're like, not for the collector's edition, but we can do that
0: because they were sold at um, the last PSX weren't they yeah
1: yeah pretty mm-hmm. sure i
0: saw them there in the in the PlayStation store um, so we have another question for you from right, from Matt Hit the it. Gamer. I'd love to Wait, know Matt
1: the Gamer, Matt
0: the Gamer. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know what existing franchise you would love to take a swing at (pun intended). Um, it could be anything: comics, movies, previous games. So, like Pine the Sky, if you could do like a dream project or anything that you would be able to work on. Wow.
1: <laughs> well, I have like two that for me, if they were like existing licenses. Uh, no three. Man, this is hard. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll give you a whole host of things. Um, one, I would absolutely love to do a Hawkeye Hawkeye, uh, Kate and Clint kind of deal uh i think it's any they are two very interesting characters kelly thompson and matt fraction i think did some of the best sort of runs of those two characters and love to do sort of an interesting dueling archers thing kelly also did this really great sort of west coast avengers thing which i think has these fantastic sort of reverent characters excellent dialogue um but you know i am a huge fan of the movie willow
0: Oh my gosh! Oh, I love Willow. I'm yeah. so glad you said that. <laughs> yes. I it literally so told John that I want to name our first daughter Aurora because of it.
1: Oh, fantastic! That because is well, awesome. her name's
0: Alora. I go right. back and forth. Alora Dan, between Alora and Aurora. Yeah. Yeah. And Sleeping Beauty is my favorite Disney movie, but just combine them. <laughs> yeah, no, Alora's the best.
1: Yeah, I, and for me, I watched that movie so many times when I was a kid, uh, and. I've always like imagined like you know it would be really I'd love to remake that like in a in the gaming space, right? To do something interesting with that. Not necessarily the exact thing, not like a sort of a Gus Van Sant shot for shot remake of Psycho or anything, but like you know, expand upon it, maybe do something completely different with it, but sort of use that foundational license. Uh that would be awesome. Uh and then Star Trek. Mm. I would absolutely love to do like a a story of the Klingons, right? of, like, you know, to to Stovacor and back, right? Kind of a to hell and back sort of vibe, uh, telling a story of, like, a group of Klingons. That would be really interesting. That would be Mm. really
0: unique and different. I feel like the Klingons never get their time in the spotlight.
1: Right? Yeah. Uh, See? There you go.
0: There you go. (laughs) JJ, Matt the Gamer. It may happen. (laughs) Um, All right, so... This one is kind of like that, but a a little bit of a twist. This one's from at uh, Maison Osroff. And it says, we are in the midst of the Harry Potter controversy. So, Uh (laughs) um, Corey, would you be interested in writing a book revolving in the universe and what would it be like? Which subject and character what he want to explore. Now I'm going to assume Maison that you mean in the God of War universe, not in the Harry Potter universe. Okay, good. I was going to ask yeah. for
1: clarification on that one. And then we just sit here and wait for him to tweet back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So a book in the God of War universe revolving around, uh, another character. A first, subject or character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I would absolutely love to do that. Um, I mean, I have a bunch of ideas of stories that I want to tell between, uh, God of War three And this game, there's a lot of really cool things that I sort of was imagining that were feeding into who the character of Kratos was today. Uh, I really, really would love to write a book about Brock and Sindri before they meet uh, and kind of their relationship with Faye, and kind of a way to lead up to the first meeting of Kratos. Kratos and Faye. So instead of making something solely just about that, but making it this kind of like interesting story about Brock and Sindri, and then how they intersect with Faye and then how in turn that sort of intersects with Kratos. So you kind of get this sort of, not really Rosencrantz and Gilderjurn are dead, but a little bit in that way because you're kind of really focusing on these two characters who I think are incredibly interesting. Very, yeah, they were, they
2: are they were interesting. really fun. Yeah.
1: yeah, and those ones we had taken the reference from the mythology, Brock and Cinder are two dwarves that actually did make Mjolnir. Um, And when I was talking to the writers, I said, all right, so I have two characterizations for these guys, and there'll be our starting point of where we're going to go with this thing. Uh, And I'm like, just roll with me on this one, because I know it's going to sound silly and stupid. Um, I'm like, but the, the, the boat captain from Jaws meets Al Swearingen is one mm-hmm. of the characters. And okay. I think at the time, I didn't even assign it to whether it would be Brock or Sindri. I had just said like, okay, it's kind of those two characters. And I'm like, he's just going to swear constantly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be like an art form for him. Right. He's just going to be foul and angry and ornery. Uh, and then I was like, maybe drunk as well. I don't know. Uh, and then I said, then the other one is going to be like Adrian Monk. Right. That he is just going to be v- like the wizard when it comes to smithing but literally afraid of everything, right? <laughs> and it was going to be the rationalization of fairies, right? That, that germs for him were fairies, right? That, that all these sort of magical unseen things uh, were actually what we call sort of germs and bacteria today. And he's just hypersensitive to that, and at first they were like, mm, I don't know about this. I'm <laughs> not right. really feeling the vision yeah, here. I'm not really I'm feeling this. Me. right? And, and then after like a day or two, they came back and they were like, oh no, I think there's some cool stuff we can do with this. And then we started talking about the potential backstory. And I had written something that talks about how Sindri became the germaphobe that he was. Uh, and I was like, oh, I really want that story to to be its own thing too. I think it ended up being a little bit in the game, but there's so much more cool stuff that we could do.
2: So you have Brock and Sindri, who you pitch, and at first people were like, I don't know. You have this no-cut camera at first. People were like, I don't know. And then you have this companion. I don't know. So what's that like to see all of that happen so successfully? Did they come back with like a cake and are like, you were right, Corey?
1: Uh, No cake. Uh, You know, it's interesting. There was was a contingent of people who were saying, hey, this is great. Yeah, I I can get behind it. But I think it was never the same people for each individual thing. Mm -hmm. It was always some individual groups. And – Perhaps it corresponded with the group that would get hit the hardest with whatever work it was. Sure. So the programmers sense. far yeah, more invested like, with and saying and companion yeah. no <laughs> animators with the no cut camera um, but yeah the, it, it was interesting at the end of the game because I had told with the, the no cut camera I pretty much was like guys this isn't going to be able to be proven until the whole game is be able to be played. I'm like because I can't I can show you a, a clip and show you why I think it's going to be good But it's the culmination of the experience that gives you the sense that this was a very personal journey that you're going on. You never get to look away. I'm like, so we won't be able to know until the end. But trust me, I'm feeling very strong about this one. And all the way up to like E3 2016, there were still a bunch of people who were like, this is not a good thing. You know, the programmer told me not to talk about it. Uh, A different programmer this time, the technical director had said, don't talk about the no-cut camera just in case we can't do it. And I was like, that is the exact reason I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> in your face. Right. I'm going to put it out there so we have no choice. We are committed. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, at the end of the game, it was interesting to see a lot of people come in. More interesting was the people who never spoke up and said anything. So people who I just thought were like, wow, that person is so supportive. Because they didn't say or anything. But they really just quietly Right. Rumbling. But then they come in and be like, dude, I just got to say... For for years, I was thinking, you were crazy, and this wasn't going to work. And I was like, why is he doing this? This is dumb. This is a lot of extra work. But I just played the game. This pretty much happened in 2018 at the beginning of the year. So everybody had played over the holiday. So the entire team took the build home. Everyone had played the entire game. And I just started getting people filing in the office and saying, like, oh, my God, this actually did work. It was really cool. I see now why you wanted to do this. And I was like, Awesome thank you. We're done now. So that's <laughs> fully helping me, but that's cool. Uh, but yeah, it, in the end, I think most of the doubt for them just came from the workload. Yeah. The workload it yeah. is feeling like, you know what? I don't know how we're going to solve this. And that's honestly what we all go through. I think we, we, we want to feel comfortable, but some of us, don't see that we're going to feel uncomfortable, that we feel so comfortable, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be too late. Yeah. So a lot of the times in the beginning, you have to make these sort of big proclamations to yourself and say, you know what, we're going to take this thing on, we're going to do it. Um, Because when you get to a point where you're like, man, this was really easy. And I wonder, did we play hard enough? Did we push hard enough? Did we do everything? And unfortunately, you are going to say that anyway. It doesn't matter what you do. You are going to get to the end, and there is that scary, scary, like your moment of publish, right? Mm-hmm. That it is that sense of like, okay, I can no longer touch this, and now I am racked with like insecurity and doubt of like, did I do enough? Did it was was this enough? And then you are just sort of mentally reading the negative feedback that you are going to get, right? Remembering some of the really negative feedback you get in playtest throughout the the, the year. Years like we had of uh, people just saying, This is terrible, you're ruining the franchise. Oh wow. Yeah. Kratos picking flowers was my favorite response. <laughs> flowers? And then like he capitalized flowers and then said it again with like five X on the flowers <laughs>
3: Like it he really was, yeah. Uh, like I, I had ruined
1: the character so much because Kratos was asked by Freya to go pick flowers. Spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> yeah. He picks flowers. Uh, but yeah. Uh, he
3: only has one tone. Don't you know this? And it's angry shouting. Yeah. That's, yes. it. That's it. <laughs> it can be nothing else angrily.
1: And he was angry flowers. about going to pick flowers yeah, yeah, as angry, well, right? You,
3: know, you can angrily pick flowers. Right. Exactly. That's an emotion you can have.
1: Chris actually, uh, I think the first take we did of that. Um, you're you know, talking about Chris Judge. Judge Chris yeah. Judge. Uh, the, the, I, this was, I think, one of our earlier scenes. Uh, and he had not told anybody about this. I think this was just an improv thing for him. But he kind of did that scene. And then when he was going out, we were going to have this scene where he kind of pushes against uh, something as he was walking out. But we ended up abandoning that idea. And then we did the take again. And he kind of... She says, yeah, just out in the garden. Can you go get it? He's like, fine, you know, (laughs) Lamb's Crest. And he turns around and he goes, I'm the fucking god of war. I shouldn't have to do this. (laughs) So hilarious. I was like, oh, I wish we could keep that. That's so good. For the blooper reel, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, Corey, this has been really fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for making the time to come down here joining GDC. Absolutely. I know that you've got a lot going on this week. Is there um, anything or any other talks that you're looking forward to going to up at the up at the convention center?
1: There are so many people on uh, the God of War team that are talking this week. Uh, I'm hoping to go out and try and see every one of them. Um, so, yeah, that. And I think Brian's giving a talk. Brian Intahar. Uh, from Insomniac Yeah, from Insomniac, a fantastic director He's giving a talk on Thursday Excited to go check that out um, Yeah, and then See as much as I can, hang out with people and That would be good And then awesome. I guess finish my talk Yeah, that probably yeah. should be on the, the list should, at some I point should really do that <laughs> uh,
3: up All before. Yeah <laughs> oh, Yeah
0: it's okay. You can get inspired by all of these other talks you're going to go see, and you're going to be like, oh, I should weave that into my Oh, my team.
1: God. I'm going to steal from everybody else's talks. That's say, amazing. Yeah. Steal,
3: steal slides from everybody uh, else's presentations. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. Yours, like, right. You may recognize
1: there. this slide from Brian Interhart's talk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I have to ask. Um, when you guys were starting this thing, did you... like? Try out different uh, sort of, well, I don't know what they call it when you say, what's good, everybody? So you're sort of like log like on, a, you're sign on. Like, oh, did you yeah. try different ones? Have you? Did you workshop them? Did you find ones that didn't work? How did, did you end up with that one?
0: Didn't we just kind of wing everything and hope for the best? We did. If you go back and watch some of our early shows, they're kind of a hot mess. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we've just come like a long this. way. We're about to hit episode 100 of our show, which is very exciting. Um, and we have gotten into a groove over the many months. That we've been doing the show now and kind of figuring out, you know how the flow wants to work. I think the one thing that we knew needed to be consistent week to week was the um, was the segments and the content, so that way our, our audience wasn't always being confused about what was happening on the show so they know when they come to What's Good Games like they're going to get a breakdown of news analysis first and then they're going to get the games that we've gotten previews with or hands-on time with and then they're going to get a really fun feature segment at the end of the show. And
1: randomly breaking out into song.
0: Well, they're going to get that all the time. That's that's, that's your jam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We call that the funny stuff as
1: part right. of our yeah. tagline. The line. funny stuff. I like that. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah, yep. It's interesting how you you evolved that over time, like the, the intro bit, and now mm. it's down pat. Yeah, the, so yeah the it seems, it seems times really tight. That's time so I was like, oh, I wonder stuff. what the lineage
1: yeah. of that is, right? Well, I
3: think <laughs> just like over time, she just kept adding a little like, and then yeah. it just came together. Yeah. Well, I think we also needed to find our voice a little
0: bit too mm. and sure. figure out like what was going to be our signature, our calling card, the reason why people want to come back to our show. And so I think our fans and the community members of What's Good Games helped us find that as well by saying, you know, like, this is the part of the show that I like, and this is the part of the show that makes me keep coming back week after week. So
1: That is literally the best thing to be able to interact with people who are actually enjoying and consuming what you're doing. To Give you feedback to help you sort of know where to go. I mean, th- th- that's awesome.
0: Our community is simply the best, mm-hmm. they are wonderful people who are incredibly supportive of what we do. And you know, like any creative property, there's always going to be naysayers out there, but we've done a really good job of really pushing them aside and being like, <laughs> mute, we don't <laughs> want to hear from you anymore. Banhammer is one <laughs> sometimes,
2: the yeah.
1: banhammer. She's very nice. good at swinging
0: that hammer.
2: I'm yes, not afraid to
0: either. Word to the wise, don't cross, Brittany Brumbacher.
1: See, now I consider that a challenge. I want to f- I want to get banned.
3: Oh, it's what? not hard. <laughs> right. It's really not, it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> make like a dummy account to do
2: that. And then you with. just send well, us a go. really yeah. sweet email apologizing right. for all your transgressions, and then maybe I'll let you back
1: in the community. But then you would unban me, and then I wouldn't have the, the sort of notoriety of being banned. But you're right, the, the yeah. make the, the burner account. Yeah, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. all right.
0: No, I I feel like I need to be the reasonable one here to say. That maybe, this is, maybe this isn't the
1: greatest. <laughs> I'm like we shouldn't be plotting to do this. Way.
0: Way. <laughs> I'm like, please don't troll us, Corey.
2: No,
1: no, no, no.
0: I think you'd be able to tell.
1: Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, you'd be able to tell. I would use my own account, probably. Yeah,
0: yeah. no, you would. <laughs>
2: it's like, Thank he's God he's you done. don't know
1: who this is. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> changed my picture. At Corey Marlowe. <laughs> right.
0: Well, thank you so much again for coming down. Uh, we hope that you guys enjoyed this special episode. Um, you, of course, can find Corey on Twitter. As he mentioned, you are constantly tweeting with Anna. Yes. And it's really fun to watch your guys' shenanigans back and forth. Yes. Can ask, what's up with the insects?
1: In you know, she... Uh, is very into lizards and insects and snakes and mm. at one point she had rabbits but we have a small place so rabbits just tear everything up so that did not last long. Uh yeah our our wedding anniversary just passed and I gave her oh, congratulations. two jumping oh thank you. Yeah uh and two you know the seventh wedding anniversary is the jumping spider anniversary.
3: Wait, <laughs> jumping spiders? That yeah, sounds terrible. Two jumping
1: spiders. But yeah yeah I'm not really excited about them. <laughs> you know I'm really I was, like,
3: mantises. Like, the, the flower one she has is really pretty. Yep. Even, like, the spiky one's cool-looking.
1: They're slow-moving. Jumping spiders, Yeah, not
3: yeah. yeah.
1: not yeah. and, and immediately, they lived up to the namesake. Yes. I mean, I was mm. I was in uh, I think it was in Austin when they, they arrived, uh, and the uh, immediately, it jumped onto Hilo, and he kind of freaked out a little bit, but he loves the bugs. That's their bonding thing. They have a really good sort mm. of bond, furthering the idea that they are Kratos and Atreus, and I am Faye. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but, yeah, that, she's super into that. And, like, she sold me on the Mantis because she of a little picture. A little like, oh, look at this little thing. It's, like, this big now. <laughs> yeah. Sincerely. I, at, at some point, I think it's and just going to sit at are the table people listening, that's probably
0: us. a ruler size, so probably close to a foot, you would yeah, say. Yeah, it's much ridiculous.
1: Okay, it's not that big, but it's big, <laughs> right? And every time they molt, they get bigger, right? And I think they only last about a year, but, man... It really is silence of the lambs in our house at this point. <laughs> oh my
2: gosh, it's really crazy. We have really crazy. pet insects in the studio. We have Tangerine or Nectarine
0: oh, right there he in here? the corner. Oh, and there you go. He's moved across oh. the studio.
1: What up, Tangerine?
0: Yeah. yeah, we actually used to have a daddy long legs yep. that Brittany named Kratos.
1: Oh, we but we don't know over
2: where here, he though, is. So he's probably shriveled up somewhere. Right. Up there. Maybe he just went somewhere
1: else. He went to the north.
2: Yeah. yeah. He I think he, right. he, he's he's yeah. got
1: a few things coming up. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> he's gotta go prepare. He's gotta Get prepare, ready. right? <laughs> All right, well, you guys know where to find us, what'sgoodgames.com slash podcast or youtube.com slash what'sgoodgames. Uh, be sure to give us a like, a rating. If you guys want to subscribe to the podcast, we'd appreciate that as well. And we'll be back later this week with a special episode from GDC with Megan Scavio, the president of the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. It's going to be a good one.
1: That is going to be a good one. I will be watching that one.
0: Fantastic. All right, everybody, we'll see you next time.